there, and welcome back to Art Watch Podcast. I hope you've had a great week. I know that a lot of people, myself included, are feeling a little bit stress-free now that the election is over. Um, but yeah, so I was thinking today, since I received a question, or rather a comment last week, um, about what is formal analysis and can I describe it more in depth? So I think this is great, especially since, again, we're still in that essay season. So I figured I'm writing my own essays right now. Why not put this into practice and kind of give you a view as to how I form my own formal analysis? So I guess that is a great place to start. Um, Let's answer the question, what is a formal and or visual analysis? Is there a difference? Well, not really. So formal or visual analysis, it's basically referring to the same thing. It's just, what are you looking at? Um, What style is this work of art made? What forms are you seeing? Um, Maybe who made it, when it was made, the culture that it came from, just the, the general sort of like here is the big picture of everything. But what's different between a formal analysis and your cultural context is that formal analysis really just focuses on the visual, whereas cultural context combines that visual with quite literally like cultural context. Um, And so that can go anywhere from like, this was the political time into which it was made, this is what was happening within the movement, or maybe that period. So you'll, that cultural context portion of your essay is going to really focus on that. Also called historical context too, Um, I've heard it both ways. So your visual analysis should focus primarily on the object itself. One way that you can do this is if you're sitting in a gallery, if you have if you have that access at the moment. I know everybody is a bit different as far as to like what we have access to, but if you have the opportunity to be in front of the piece itself, I find that slow looking really really emphasizes or rather strengthens, I think that's a better word to use. It strengthens your description. Because again, like um I remember in our previous or one of the previous episodes where we talked about Quatlique, whereas like looking at everything on a screen, like you can get a lot of detail out of it. And I mean, many scholars, myself included, will, that's all we have access to. So that's what we, that's what we're able to provide formal analysis for. But if you have the opportunity to actually go see that work in person, your description is going to be much, much stronger and you'll notice a lot of details that you maybe have missed before. So one thing um, I have been advised in the past to do is, if you can, sketch the object. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it's really going to help you uh, slow look, so or look slowly. Um, so basically, you're taking that time with the object. You're letting the object kind of like melt into your brain and find all of those details that maybe you would have missed if you were just like, all right, I saw that, um, looked at it for like 30 seconds and on to the next work of art. Um, whereas when you're slow looking, you'll, I don't know, like you just, you sit with it, you kind of let the object speak for itself. You, I don't know, there's a lot that happens and it's kind of hard to describe other than like, get out there and do it. (laughs) Um, if you can, but Yeah, no, like, I personally love if I'm able to sketching an object, and I notice that as I sketch it, again, like, I'll notice things that I would have missed in passing, 
And then I'm able to let that inform my eventual argument. So everybody has formal analysis at different parts of the semester. Some people do it at the beginning where you have a paper that's quite literally only dedicated to formal analysis. Um, and then you have papers at the end of the semester. While it's used, it's not the entire thing. But for the sake of today's um, topic, we're going to look at an object that I am actually currently studying. So when you start looking at that um, object, note the shape, you know, are there certain textures? Um, is it is it like a thick, rough texture? Is it smooth? Um, and all again, like this all kind of depends on the object. So if you're looking at a sculpture, then you might note how if it's stone, is it really pocked? Is it a, like, is it porous? Um, is it been finely, has it been finely buffed or has it been left rough? And then if it's maybe like a earthenware or ceramic ware, how smooth is it? Are there any cracks? What is the overall shape? Is it more natural? Is it more geometric? And then maybe for a painting, is the paint thick itself? Um, how does the artist treat the brush stroke or you know, like what tones are they using? So you'll want to talk about color, you want to talk about the material, you can talk about maybe a little bit of that context because while it is a formal analysis, you still want to situate the culture from which it came, when it was made, and if you know who made it. Um, that's really important and I've seen in the papers that I have graded, a lot of times students will actually just forego that completely. And while it's not like, that's not the worst thing that you could do, but think about the reader. Think if they weren't looking at this, how are you going to portray this object to somebody who maybe has never seen it, may just, or not interested in art at all, or for whatever reason, you're just, tr you're trying to, for lack of better terms, paint a picture. <laughs> um... So yeah, so the object that I'm going to be looking at today is actually a photograph. So this is going to change how I approach the formal analysis just a little bit because I won't need to look at texture. And since it's black and white, I'm not really going to have a discussion about color. Like it's still going to be there, but it's not going to be like if I was looking at a colored painting where I was like, oh wow, there's all these deep vibrant reds or these muted browns, things like that. Like, So everything is gonna, your formal analysis is contingent upon the type of object that you're looking at. So the photograph that I'm looking at is from um, the 1910 revolution in Mexico. So this was, I'm just gonna give you like a brief little background. Um, this comes at the time when Mexico was revolting against a dictatorship and trying to reframe Mexican national identity, Mexican politics, and there's there's so much detail into the Mexican 1910 revolution, but again, this is a formal analysis, so I won't focus on that. However, since I know that we're focusing on Latin American art history, I want to at least situate you in um in the period itself especially since like not everybody is familiar with the 1910 revolution so 
The photograph depicts a full-bodied portrait of a young Afro-Mexicana female soldier seated in front of a light background. The image was taken by a well-known 1910 revolution photographer, Augustine Casasola, around 1915 during the revolution. Although debated, the woman has been identified as Carmen Robles, a Zapatista colonel from Guerrero. Robles appears to be in a back alley of a light-colored building where a sheet of, pa- of light paper has been used as a makeshift backdrop. Seated at an angle, Robles leans casually in the chair with one hand on her thigh while the other rests over the back of the chair, hanging somewhat stiffly at her side to emphasize or perhaps showcase the pistol at her waist. Robles wears a tan long sleeve shirt, a sheer white scarf tied loosely below the neck, and black trousers that rest at the side of her dark boots. Additionally, Robles dons a woven hat with a striped ribbon at the top situated in a manner that frames her face and hairline rather than completely covering her features. While it is difficult to make out due to the shortened exposure that provides details to the lighter parts of the photograph, Robles's curly hair peeks from behind her neck and collar. Although the makeshift studio nature of this image suggests that the image was likely taken on the road, this is a wartime fo- this wartime photograph was still planned because the photographer and subject made a clear choice to relay the many honors that Robles had achieved as a soldier of the revolution. Robles's chest is adorned with ribbons and medals and pins that denote her rank or perhaps different military victories. It appears as though Robles also wore a long chained necklace, but its sway to the side of her body and behind a long ribbon make it difficult to discern what the chain held other than some sort of pendant. Robles also wears dangling earrings, which reinforce that despite that this photograph was not taken in a studio, she still cared about her appearance and how she was presented to others. What is striking about this photograph is Robles's intense gaze directly at the viewer. Her eyes are narrow in a way that suggests, or perhaps intimidates, um, or sorry, in, her eyes are narrowed in a way that questions or perhaps intimidates the onlooker. Robles' eyebrows are furrowed, and she seems wary of the photographer's presence. Her expression is not emotionless, but she is not welcoming either. The posture, while mostly relaxed, emphasizes Robles' weapon, and when combined with her gaze, produces a perception of collected yet ready for a potential fight. So I know that that was a, I was reading from my own paper, which is why I stumbled a bit, but um, of course it's not finished and your first draft of anything is always going to need a little bit of work. But basically what you want to do is you want to, again, walk your reader through what you're seeing and a way that you can test as to whether or not this has been a successful visual analysis is maybe get a friend or your sibling, maybe a parent, have them listen to you, read your visual analysis, and don't show them a picture, but when you're done, finally show them the picture of what it is you were describing and ask them if that made sense. So what I will do with this is I will post a picture of the image that I'm looking at And you can actually let me know if it was successful. So this is a great way to, like, critique your own work and then critique the work of others and, you know, see what is missing. And so something that I'm going to talk about is in photography of African-descended individuals, 
there's this common practice to either overexpose the image so that you can pick up the details of darker skin or underexpose to get the details of the objects around them when what that does is it actually washes out the features of the individuals themselves and some and this is actually for a class on the photography of the African diaspora and so what we have talked about in my class is that photography itself is actually somewhat racist I mean not I, I mean that's not the right word but basically photography was meant to photograph white skin and so it takes a very skilled photographer to be able to photograph somebody of dark skin and especially somebody who is of African descent with rather like very dark skin. Um, so that's something that I will talk about in the visual analysis. Um, but of course, for your average undergraduate paper, you're going to kind of just lay the groundwork of what it is that you're looking at. And hopefully, I'm hoping that next episode, the next episode will be a little bit more of a cultural context episode. So building up on the visual analysis and now putting into the period that it was made, who made it, and like why that's significant. Because even in the visual analysis, you should, like I did at the beginning, mention when it was made, um, who the um, object is depicting. In this case, it's a photograph depicting um, a female colonel of the 1910 revolution. And the photographer, who is Augustine Casola, or Casasola, sorry, and kind of where he was situated. I mean, it's a very brief nod because you want to focus on the image itself. So after this, what will happen is I'll situate both um, the subject and the artist in the larger framework of the 1910 revolution. What was happening? Why is it significant to see a colonel rather than a soldadera, which there is a big difference um, as far as rank goes. And then what I'll do for all of those upper level um, students and master students, I will, after I'm done with this sort of like situating the image and situating the visual analysis, I'll bring in the, um, oh gosh, the literature review. You can tell I'm a bit frazzled. I'm in the process of moving. Um, it's a bit crazy right now. <laughs> But yeah, so I'll, sit, I'll bring in that, that literature review, and there is quite a bit of scholarship around the Afro-Mexicana in the 1910 Revolution era, and then like sort of depictions of them, but there's the problem of blackface um, in like film, and there's a film that I actually found that I think, I'm not like 100% yet, but I think that this film and this novel was actually based on... Robles, because she was one of the few colonels, like female colonels of the revolution. And as far as I have found, she appears to be one of the only, if not the only, um, Afro-Mexican, like, soldiers. So that's super significant. And there's this film, it's called, um, I think it's La Negra and Anguitusa? Hold on, let me, let me double check, because I feel like I butchered that pronunciation. It is called, referring to my notes, La Negra Angustias. Um, so it was a novel originally, and then it was later adapted into a film. And the film is a little bit more feminist because it was made by a female 
filmmaker, which was not very common at that period when, when the film was made. And then the novel itself was actually written by a man. So there's this interesting dynamic between like interpretations. And then when you mine the bibliographies, I, um, I found that there was a note by the director of the film that she actually met the colonel that it was based on, and she was from Guerrero. However, I am still in the process of finding that specific article. But as you can see, like, research is kind of like a rabbit hole. Like, I mean, there's that negative connotation, like, don't get caught in the research rabbit hole. But unfortunately, as you get further into your academic career, it it is more common for you to get caught in that research rabbit hole just to find the right sources. And of course, now with everything being online, it's a little bit more difficult. But I hope that this rather brief um, talk, <laughs> visual analysis was helpful. Um, mine right now is only about two pages. So like, again, like it didn't take very long to talk you through what I was seeing. Um, but of course that's gonna get, you know, expanded upon as I go through the drafts. This was just a, I took 30 minutes like the writing center suggested and I wrote that. So yeah, I mean, it's a process. You should always, you know, if you can, maybe again, ask that friend if you can read your visual analysis to them and then finally show them the image and does it match up? What did you miss? And then get that feedback. So I hope that was helpful. And then hopefully again, part two of this will be a little bit more situated in the cultural side. So you'll get to see how essays develop over time. Um, again, if you're not following me on Instagram or Twitter, my handle is artwatchpodcast at Artwatch Podcast, and then if you'd like to email me or even comment on my stuff, um, my email is artwatchpodcast at gmail.com. If you know of anybody you want to do an artist shout out, either message me on Instagram, email me, whatever it is that fits your schedule. Um, yeah, let me know. And let me know in the comments if my very rough draft of this visual analysis matched up with what it is you were seeing and let me know what I was missing and this will be a great way for you to practice. So I hope you have a great week and I will see you next time.